to Totalus Rankium. This week, Julian. Hello and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. <laughs> Yes, you are. And, I, <laughs> and I'm Rob. And this is episode 62, Julian. Yes. Julian. Probably the campest emperor name we've had. Julian. <laughs> Julian. Yes. It is. I mean, for some reason, it seems different than Julius Caesar, doesn't it? Julius yeah. and Julian. But it's, his name was actually Julianus. A bit better. We'll get into that, shall yeah. we? Let's just jump in. Julian, he was born in May or June. So let's say May, let's say it's today. Yeah. Yeah, he was born today, 18th of May. So happy birthday to Julian. He is our first emperor born in Constantinople. Ooh, I heard that gets big. It does get big. Uh, It's it's quite small at the moment, but it gets bigger, as things do. I'll just leave that innuendo lying there, and uh, and we'll move on. (laughs) His grandfather was Constantius I. Now, if you remember, Constantius number one... When he was younger, met the barmaid slash saint Helena. Do you just remember this stuff, or do you have them in your notes? It's here in my notes. Okay, so I'm sorry, because you've got a great memory for stuff. And... <laughs> yeah, you put a little. I mean, I vaguely remember it as well. I have spent yeah. the week researching it, and like it. That's that's true. That does help. Well, I've been busy. Yeah, well, I'm sure you have. This is not the blame game section you, of the podcast. Shirt. Oh, new shirt. Buy a new is shirt. that new? To wash it. Yeah. Oh, just looks like your old shirt. It does, but it's better. Oh, okay. Join us next week for Tallis Rankin shirts. So, Constantius number one. If you remember, yeah. Constantius number one met yeah. the barmaid slash Saint Helena. And together they had Constantine the Great. Is that Helena the same as Saint Helena? That would be the one, yes. Yeah, yes. More well known for her saint work rather than her barmaid work. <laughs> uh, but she did both. Yeah. That was when she's trying to pay through university, kind of thing. Yes, well, you've got to work your way up to Sainthood, haven't well, you? Yeah, true, yeah. yeah. So together, they have Constantine the Great. And then, unceremoniously, Constantius dumps Helena to marry Theodora, stepdaughter of Maximian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, all, all, all interconnected. It was through the second marriage through Theodora that Constantius had a son named Julius. Are you with me here? Um, so Constantius had a second son through Theodora? yes. Called Julius. Called Julius. Julius, therefore, is the younger half-brother of Constantine the Great. Yes. Yeah? You're still with me. Good. Julius has a wife, and together they have a son named Flavius Claudius Julianus, or just Julian the Short. <gasps> it's Julian, yeah. Yes, that's so who we're doing today. So he's Constantine's nephew, half-nephew. Yes, and therefore, Constantius II, Constans, and Constantine II's cousin. Yeah. Yeah. With it. Good. Right, this is a small section of the Constantinian family tree, which is as large and complex as the Julio-Claudian one. Okay. <laughs> but we're not going to go through the family tree, like we attempted to do with the Julio-Claudian one, because they all die. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. But we do need to know that little bit about Julius. Okay. Well, sorry, about Julian. What his link is. Yeah, so I'll highlight some people when they become important, and we will put a family tree up on Facebook. Great. Yes. So, Julian's mother died shortly after his birth, which is a shame, leaving him with two half-sisters and two elder half-brothers. Okay. So he's he's the young one of yeah. the family. 
He's a babby. At the age of about six, Julian's father and his eldest brother were killed in Constantinople when the soldiers demanded Constantine the Great's three sons ruled alone. Yeah. So this is the purge. This is when Constantius II purges everyone. Yeah. Yes. He's only about six at this time. It's obvious to everyone that Constantius is behind the murders. We've decided it was his fault. Oh, definitely. Yes. So Julian and his half-brother Gallus were spared because of their young age. Julian is now an orphan. Oh. Very sad. Constantius, realising that it just kind of looked a bit bad killing children, (laughs) instead shipped his young family members out of sight. Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Hide them away. (laughs) They keep crying. Get rid of them. (laughs) I'm sick of their tears. Grow up and man up. Why do they flinch every time I go near them? What's wrong with them? Send them away. I thought I'd appreciate this gift. It's the knife I killed your mother with. Still got a blood on look. Thought you wanted something to remember her by. (laughs) Yeah, I I could see Constantius doing that. So there's some debate on whether the brothers stayed together, Julian and Gallus. Mm. Uh, But for the next few years, the boys were given an education and a pleasant life. But they were watched carefully. (laughs) Julian remembers his eunuch teacher with fondness. He was taught the classics and he started to develop an interest in pagan traditions. That's interesting, because his whole family were Christian, aren't they? Yes. But I think when one member of your family murders everyone else in your family, that natural feeling of rebellion in your teenage years is just kind of <laughs> ratcheted up a bit. <laughs> You're just really, really going to want to rebel, aren't you? Rebelliously pagan. Yes. <laughs> like... So, when their carer, Eusebius, dies in 340, they were sent to a fortified city in the Cappadocian Mountains. There are mixed reports on what this was like. So Gibbon says this, Their prison was an ancient palace, the resident of the kings of Cappadocia. The situation was pleasant, the building stately, the enclosure spacious. They pursued their studies and practiced their exercises under the tuition of the most skillful masters. Hmm. But they could not disguise to themselves that they were deprived of fortune, of freedom, and of safety, secluded from the society of all whom they could trust or esteem, and condemned to pass their melancholy hours in the company of slaves devoted to the commands of a tyrant who had already injured them beyond the hopes of reconciliation. Mm. So, swings and roundabouts, really. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, take the bad with the goods. Yeah, every cloud. Julian reports that Gallus was such a horrible person. <laughs> really? Because of his treatment during this house arrest. Ah, okay. So Julian certainly didn't enjoy his time there. It was not pleasant. His education was now very strictly Christian. So he was taken away from all that pagan nonsense. <laughs> and during this time, he developed a deep knowledge of the Bible. But his fascination of the pagan ways had still not diminished. Ooh. See, I do have an image now of him being in, like... A school full of nuns, or is like his Bible lab inside? He's got you know a few pagan books. Yeah, do you think he's got? I don't know what a pagan book is. That shows my knowledge. Book of pagan. Marvel do a lot to do with Thor. That's true. Yeah, but that's Viking. That's not Uh, Viking religion. Was a pagan religion. It's probably not the pagan religion that (laughs) Julian was. (laughs) But why not? Why not Thor? Yeah, yeah. Julian loves Thor. Yeah, Odin. Yeah. He loved his Viking god. He did. He yeah. did. So he used to you heard keep, it here first. He used to keep his Marvel comics about the Viking gods <laughs> inside the Bible dust cover. Yeah. Is that why when he got older he had that hammer commissioned? Yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. 
So, Julian and Gallus stayed there for about six years, until news came through to the boys, who were now young men by this point. Constantius, upon dealing with Magnentius, had called for Gallus. He wanted to make Gallus his Caesar. This was good news for Julian, because it seems that this relaxation of exile for Gallus applied to him too, and he was permitted to return to Nicomedia. So, off Gallus goes, disappears for a while, Julian heads to Nicomedia, and then after a short time, Gallus returns. New wife in tow, Constantina. I'd be made Caesar, he declared. We're off to Antioch to rule wisely. Oh yes, I remember him now. (laughs) Yes, you remember Gallus. (laughs) Yeah. So, off Gallus goes, Julian now in Nicomedia, settling down in his new home. Everything's nice. Unfortunately, though, a couple of years later, some bad news comes through. Constantius, grown concerned over Gallus's behaviour in the East, had decided to send for his Caesar. Mm-hmm. Gallus had been picked up and executed. Remember that? Yes. Gong. <laughs> yes. Gong. Yes, Gilbert was in full force that day. Oh, yeah. More bad news follows, however. Oh, dear. Constantius wanted to make sure that Julian wasn't in league with Gallus. Ooh. Yeah. Constantius's advisers pointed out that the two of them had met recently. Because on the way to Antioch, Gallus stopped in on Julian, his brother. <laughs> Suspicious! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Julian probably couldn't help but think that meeting your brother three years ago was hardly evidence of treason. But he had no choice. He had to make his way to Milan and meet the man who had murdered his father and now two of his brothers. Excellent. You must have been a bit uplifted. There's like, there's, I'm on my own. Gil, there's no Gilbert around. <laughs> yeah, so. there's no gong. It's okay. Maybe it'll be fine. Once in Milan, he seemed to impress Constantius enough to convince him that he was not plotting his downfall. Mm. But it was close, apparently. It was only due to Constantius's wife that Constantius didn't order execution. In the end, in fact, Julian managed to use the meeting to his advantage. He was given permission to go to Athens to study. Julian probably didn't shout about it too much, but an opportunity to study the classics and paganism in the city of Athens must have thrilled him. Yeah. This is is where it all began. Yeah. Yeah. Did it? Well, it depends what it is. True. But I'm sure lots of stuff started in Athens. Triangles. Triangles. Yeah. So he got to go and study in Athens. Wonderful. Julian spent the best part of a year studying, with one weary ear open for news of his murderous cousin. Oh. It certainly would not have escaped Julian that he was the last remaining member of the family that Constantius seemed determined to wipe out. (laughs) He's going to weigh heavily on him, isn't he? He really is. So at this point, what kind of feeling do you have about Julian? (laughs) Victimised. He strikes me as well. He's, he's someone that likes. He sounds like someone that likes to learn. Yeah. Like he's interested in the past and like Greeky stuff and <laughs> yes. pagany. Yeah. He's so, he's only if he, if he seems like someone that has made their mind up about something and will. Yeah, do you it. get a feeling he wants to keep his head down. Yes. Read his books. Yeah. Just, just leave me alone. Just stop yeah, stop murdering everyone I know, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One fateful morning, Julian received a summons to Milan. Oh. Constantius had decided to make him Caesar. Oh, I'm going to say dead then. <laughs> well, pretty much the same. Julian, <laughs> knowing by now that Constantius did love to use the odd sneaky fib in his letters, obviously did not know whether this was actually him being summoned to become Caesar or him being mm. summoned 
to be executed. Butler, Butler, could you just look outside and see if there's anyone with a gong? <laughs> just, just have a look. Off he goes. He's got no choice. Perhaps it was to his surprise then that when he arrived in Milan in 355, he was surrounded by eagles and standards, and Constantius invited him to, and I quote, share in the pains and perils, and undertake the charge of defeating Gaul. Ah. Constantius then went on to ask the crowd if they agreed. The crowd seemed to politely agree that Julian should be Caesar. Yeah, this is right. Well, I quote, the assembly interrupted and gently <laughs> prevented him talking further. <laughs> but uh, Constantius, just stop there, it's fine. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll have him. Yeah, he can be Caesar. Whatever. Both Julian and Constantius seemed a bit wary during all of this. Mm. According to Ammianus, Constantius thus addressed him, him being Julian, yeah. somewhat melancholy in aspect as he was, with a careworn countenance. Since then, he said, your joyful acclaim shows that I have your approval also, that this young man of quiet strength, whose temperate behaviour is rather to be imitated than proclaimed, rise to receive this honour conferred upon him by God's favour. Yeah. It, it's hardly rousing stuff. It, it isn't, yeah. <laughs> 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 it's quiet strength, temperate behaviour. Placid. The soldiers, however, do their job. They all cheer. <laughs> Julian, probably at this point side inwardly, decided not to make too many plans for old age. <laughs> Apparently he quoted Homer at this point, saying, By purple, death, I am seized, and fate supreme. Do you think he was happy with the, the pun on seized? Probably. He probably loved that. Yeah. yeah. But ultimately he just dreaded the fact <laughs> yeah. he was due to die soon, because <sighs> he'd seen what happened to his brother. I have never known a woman. <laughs> Once the celebrations were over, he was taken aside by the emperor, who informed him in no uncertain terms that he was just a figurehead to be put up the north so the way was clear for Constantius to eventually move east when Shapur raised his head again. Sounds painful, put up the north. <laughs> so, soldiers cheering. In we go. Come on in. Right, Julian, you're a figurehead. You've got no power, by the way. Oh. Just, just do what I say. Okay. Here are some advisors. Do what they say. Yeah. Go north. Go and read some books. Yes. Just whatever you do, don't try and do anything on your own. You are a figurehead. He was also informed that he was now to be married to Constantius's sister. Ooh. Just as sister number one, Constantina, was married to Gallus, Julian was to marry Helena. Ooh. Julian, around 22 of age at this point, then does go north. He has no experience whatsoever of leading an army. Well, why would he? Or ruling a province. Why would he? Or generally leading men. Why would he? He's given a small retinue of 360 men and officers who had no respect for this bookish young man whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. However, just because he was not best pleased about this new position did not mean he was not going to take it seriously. The Germanic region was a mess at this point. Rome had lost all control over the Rhine and the Franks and the Anamani were pouring over the river, looting everything they could find. Yeah. And why were they doing that? I, I don't know. Someone, <laughs> Someone had... Done something, I can't remember the details, so it wasn't good. Made a deal. Some kind of 
dodgy deal. Yeah. Yeah. I'd pay to come over. Yeah. yeah. So I've got a map here <gasps> that's already on Facebook. It is. I yes. y- and you warned me, don't look at them because it'll ruin everything. <laughs> Won't ruin much. But this is a map of Gaul. Ooh, that's and sweet. You can see a massive barbershop. <laughs> <laughs> well, the stripes that you're referring to as a barbershop is the area where it's overrun completely by barbarians at this point. Okay. So that is now essentially the barbarians' land, but the Roman consider it their land. Land ah. in dispute. Okay. We can also see along the far side of the Rhine, roughly where the barbarians <gasps> are hanging out. Yeah, got the Saxons. Yes, you've got the Saxons oh. up north on the coast. The Franks. Franks below them. The Burgundy. Yes. The Alamanni. The Alamanni. And the Suevi. 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 Something like that. We don't but, talk about that much because it's hard to pronounce. Because like, <laughs> we can't. Yes. Um, but I like behind that, you've just got a big barbarat as part of barbarians. Yes, this is a smaller part of a larger map. Yes. It does say barbarians are here. <laughs> As you can see, that is a large chunk in dispute there, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's not a small little, all this fighting that's, along the Rhine. That's a day's travel by car. Yeah, easily. That's, that's a lot of portion of the Roman Empire now it's, gone. Yes, yeah, so it's kind of going from Calais up to kind of southern Belgium. And all the way down in, well, all the way down through France up to uh, Lyon in, yes. in French. France. France, yes. And, uh, and bumping into Cologne. And Strasbourg. Yeah. yeah, have a look on the map if uh, if you want to. That's what he's facing. Once in Gaul, Julian received word that the barbarians were in fact further inland than, than they originally thought, and larger in numbers. A large raiding party, in fact, had just attacked Augustodunum. That's a stupid name. It is a stupid name. Augustodunum. Yes. Augustodunum. Augustodunum. Yes, it takes up a lot of room on the map as well. Oh my goodness, yeah. Yes, there it is. It's a big name. Stupid. Yes, the place previously was thought too large and too inland, as it were, to be attacked by the barbarians, but attacked it was. Ooh. So Julian decides to set off for a counter-attack straight away with his no experience. <laughs> his soldiers going, um... <laughs> he sent word to Marcellus, the man Constantius had put in as his second in command, to meet up with him with his men and a month's supply of food, and then managed to get to Augustodunum with an impressive speed. However, in his speed, he did not scout the land carefully enough, and when moving on from Augustodunum, he was ambushed. They were able to fight the ambush back just about, but it was a close-run thing. Julian, again, 22 years old, no experience, was leading... Like a 22-year-old with no experience. Yeah, fight over there, fight over there. <laughs> It's like when you play a, like a shooting game for the first time, you're just going crazy and shooting everything and not yeah. being careful. Until like you realise you can just hide around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. This did not stop Julian, however. They carried on tracking down the barbarians. Eventually, they came across a sizable Alamanni force, and battle was offered. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Would you care for a battle? <laughs> no, thanks. Oh, they did. The Alamanni charged. But the Roman front line held, and the wings were able to close in and break the barbarian line. Julian has just won his first victory. Hey! Now, there is some suggestion that Marcellus was actually giving the orders at this early stage. Of course he was. Yes. Why, why let the kid make decisions? He's a figurehead. But if that's true, then it was actually Marcellus who got ambushed just a moment ago, and not Julian. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something to take consideration yeah, of but... the fight against Maximus. 
it's not your fault if you get ambushed. No, you should have scouted. Yeah, okay. yeah. Julian finally arrived at the Rhine and started taking the towns back for the Romans. He met very little resistance. He was able to practically walk into Cologne. All the men were off raiding, and by striking at the Rhine, the retreat for the barbarians was being cut off. So actually, if you have a look at the map, all the barbarians are into Gaul yeah. doing oh, raiding. Yes. So Julian's headed straight to the Rhine to attack the cities on the Rhine. You shut them off. To shut them off. It's like the enemy coming into your room, but you go out the door and close it. Yeah. And then they're trapped inside. Does that happen often? At school, yeah. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Is that just the start of the lesson? Yep. Yes. Okay. <laughs> See you guys later on. <laughs> so, the campaign of 356 was off to a good start. Julian retired to Gaul and split the army into smaller groups for the winter. Marcellus had the larger group in Reims, and Julian took the small group to Senona's. What's the first place called? Reims. Reims. Yes. However, word soon got to the Alamanni that the Caesar was underdefended on his own in a town with the main bulk of his army a <laughs> hundred miles away. It was in fact reported that a handful of men would be able to take Sononus and kill the Caesar. Ooh. The Alamanni put forward their plan. <gasps> this is a trap. Uh, not really, no, unfortunately not. <laughs> this is just a mistake from Julian. When Julian was made aware of the incoming Alamanni, he immediately sent word to Marcellus for reinforcements and had settled down for the siege. Yeah. So Julian's in his town. He knows that most of his army is only 100 miles away. It's not too far. Yeah. So we just need to wait this out. It yeah. won't take too long. A week passed and nothing. Hmm. But it was fine. The walls were holding. It's okay, thought Julian. Went out every morning, give him a tap. Yeah. Still there? Yeah, it's all good. No barbarians coming in here. Another week passed. Hmm. It's only 100 miles away. Marcellus should be here by now. And I'll quote Amianus here. Julian could be seen day and night with his soldiers among the bulwarks and battlements, boiling over with rage and fretting because however often he tried to sally forth, he was hampered by the scanty numbers of the troops at hand. Oh dear. Mm, not looking good. No. Another week passes. Oh dear. <laughs> it's clear by this point, Marcellus is not coming. Fortunately, after a month, the Alamanni give up. They had not thought the town would actually be that hard to take and they were running short on supplies themselves. Julian, utterly furious by this point, sends word to Marcellus, asking why hadn't you sent the relief? Why did you not come and rescue me? Yeah. Marcellus didn't even come up with an excuse. Oh. And I will quote here. At least lie. <laughs> yeah, at least come up with something. Stop or toe on the way down. Oh, oh you relieve you. I thought you said... Run away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> yeah, according to Amianus here. Whereupon Marcellus, as if staggered by a grievous insult, began to contrive a plot against Julian, presuming on Augustus, whose ears were open to every slander. Ooh. So Marcellus just went, ran off to Constantius and yeah. started saying bad things about Julian. Oh, I not anything. No. Apart from win battles. Yeah, well, he's also inexperienced. True. Constantius ruled, however, that Marcellus had acted cowardly and sent him into exile. Ooh. However, this did not stop the rumour that actually it was Constantius 
who had ordered Marcellus to slow down to Caesar, lest he become too popular. Now, is that a rumour? Or do we think that's true? I'll let you decide when we've, we're about five, ten more minutes into the episode. Ooh, okay. okay. Yeah. Right. But just know that that's now playing on Julian's mind. Okay. <laughs> so, Julian was now on the lookout. Not just from barbarian invasion, but from internal politics as well. Yep. Winter ended and Julian sets off again. This time the plan was he was going to meet with another general called Barbetio or Barbetio. Barbetio. Yeah. <laughs> Italian names coming thick and fast now. <laughs> Who was coming from Milan, chosen obviously by Constantius. He was, incidentally, the man who arrested and questioned Gallus last week. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> he was the one going, ah, Gallus, wonderful you could be here. <laughs> Gong. Yeah. yeah. So that, that was Barbicio. So I'm going to nip back to the map here so you understand what the plan is. And if right. you're listening at home, just imagine a map or look at it. But you've got <laughs> Milan down there in the yeah, north of north, Italy. North of Italy. Now, if you go directly north from Milan... You go over the Alps and you head into Alamanni territory. Yes. But also, you hit that disputed area, yeah. which is also held by the Alamanni. The barbershop, yeah. Yeah. At the moment, Julian is in Sonona's, which yeah. is not too far south from Paris. No. So to get to the same place as Barbetio, he needs to go east towards the Rhine. Through war-torn. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. The plan is they're going to meet together okay. and sort of pincer the Alamanni. Okay. Sounds like a good plan, yeah? With you. Uh, yeah. However, the plan does not go according to plan. <laughs> no. Soon after Julian set off, news came through of a large force attacking Lyon and its surrounding area. Mm. Julian diverted south to pick off these invaders. He caught them and managed to kill or capture most of them. Not necessarily in the most heroic of ways, it must be said. <laughs> he chased them down until they needed to rest out of sheer exhaustion. And then, and I'll quote... For all who passed out by those roads were butchered, and their booty were covered intact. So no booty in the US means something different. <laughs> I don't think it was that kind of booty. Okay. No. But the barbarians were just chased around the fields until yeah. they just collapsed. <laughs> just far too tired to continue, and then they slaughtered them all. But ultimately, Julian has sorted this out. Okay. Leon is now safe. Good. Yes. He's got the barbarians. He's killed most of them. He's got back the loot. However, a small group managed to escape. No problem, thought Julian. They're heading straight towards Barbetio. <laughs> Barbetio. Yeah. So Julian just sent word to Barbetio, telling him, just, just mop up these men who are coming your way. They attack Leon, you need to get them. Easy peasy. Yeah. One of the men who was about to set after the barbarians was Valentinian. Ooh. Just put a box around his name. <laughs> Valentinian. That no, is, that name actually rings a bell. That, that is nothing but a name drop. There's no reason to say his name in this story. He does nothing else. Uh, but but just, he, he, he's, he's one of the survivors, you said, or one of the captures. Oh, we've not come across him at all yet. No, no, as in, was he part of the group that caught the survivors, or was he one of the survivors? Funny you should say that. I spent a while trying to figure that out. I think, if I've read the source correctly, he was with Barbatia. Okay. And he was about to. He heard that these barbarians were going past them, and he yeah. was about to sally forth and track them down. However, Barbatio then gives them orders to stop. Ooh. Let the barbarians go, yeah. he says. Hmm. Why? 
Hmm. Why do you think? To make him look bad. Well, that's probably what Julian started thinking. <laughs> yeah. Julian seethed, but could do nothing. Might as well just carry on with the plan. Get to the meeting point near the Rhine. As he approaches the Rhine, he comes across a group of the Alamanni who had started to settle on the Roman side of the river. Once they saw the Romans approaching, they ran for it. Away. Julian was not in the best of moods by this point, <laughs> and it did not help that the barbarians, and I quote, with wild and mournful cries heaped insults upon the Romans and their Caesar. Big nose. Stuff like that. You have droopy eyelids. How's your mother? Oh, she's dead. And your father. <laughs> and all your brothers. <laughs> yeah, just just really personal stuff. It got quite mean. Then one guy behind that guy going, oh, too far. <laughs> <laughs> too soon. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. So, the barbarians threw down roadblocks and escaped across the river. Julian was determined to follow. He was going to cross the Rhine and go into the heartland of the Alamanni. Yeah. However, to do that, he'd have to cross the Rhine. So he sends word to nearby Barbatio, who's close by this point because they're near the meeting point. And he asked for the ships that Barbatio had brought along with him for the purpose of fording the river. They were going yeah. to tie them together and make a bridge out of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he writes to Barbatio asking for seven ships. Julian sat down and waited for his bridge ships to arrive. Oh, dear. Eventually, a messenger arrived with news on the ships. Roger! <laughs> yes. Hello, sir! Barbatio had done exactly what the Caesar had ordered and burnt seven ships. Uh, uh, what? I can only imagine there was a very long and pregnant pause. <laughs> uh, uh. Yes, he's, he's done what? Excuse me? They burnt them, sir. Just as you requested. <laughs> All seven of them. Massive flames, sir. He was laughing when he did it. <laughs> he could see for miles. He was thrilled to carry out your orders. <laughs> yeah. Julian by now is convinced that Constantius is pulling the strings to make him look useless. Why would you do that? Because he just makes you and your empire look bad. This is Constantius, who was That's true. a little bit paranoid That's at times. That's true, yeah. Yes. This got high on crazy, didn't he? Yeah, Julian is outraged, but determined to carry on. There's no way he was going to let Barbatio claim that he was incompetent. So Julian found out from some captured Germans that some areas of the Rhine was actually fordable at this time of year. Hmm. So he sent a small force out, and I'll quote again. And they, now wading through the shallows and now swimming on their shields, which they put under them like canoes... <laughs> came to a neighbouring island and landed there. And landing there, they butchered everyone they found. Oh, nice. Men, women alike, without distinction of age, like so many sheep. Then, finding some <laughs> empty boats, they rowed on these, unsteady as they were, and raided a large number of such places. And when they were sated with slaughter, loaded down with wealth of booty, a part of which they lost through force of current, they all came back safe and sound. <laughs> Just in time for tea. And they lived happily ever after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's no trying to sugarcoat this from Amiatus here. <laughs> no. It's like, yes, we slaughtered them. <laughs> yeah, we slaughtered them good. Like cattle. Slaughtered them in the face. Yeah. You can tell he's angry. Yes, he's, he's not too pleased. Having driven the barbarians 
out nearby, he then draws back slightly to regroup. So Julian is still in technically Roman territory, but yeah. it's the barbarian-held Roman territory still. Yeah, yeah. He's managed to push a lot of barbarians across the river, but he's still in a dicey area. Yeah. Barbatio, with his forces, are a little bit closer to the river than Julian. Julian decided that the delay when Leon was attacked mm. at the start had affected their plan and they needed to resupply. So he ordered enough food for a year and 20 days to be collected from nearby fields and farms. <laughs> Very specific. Yeah. <laughs> One like year that. and 22 days. So five minutes. <laughs> and by that time, all the barbarians would be dead. And I bet they were. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a setback. He sent out some foragers to collect lots of food. He also sent back to Rome to send food up as well. He was just generally collecting food. Scavenging. Scavenging, yes. Some of his foragers came close to Barbaccio's camp. Ooh. Barbaccio took a large portion of food from Julian's men and burnt it. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Again, you can imagine the, <laughs> the report getting back to Julian. <laughs> can I show you my notes? I've, I've done the stages of Julian's anger here. The first is sad face. Yes. Angry face. Livid face. And... He's barely a face, it's just... <laughs> no, no, it's just a ball of anger now, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's just no excuses given for why is doing this. Because he's a... <laughs> the implication, though, is clear. He has either a personal vendetta against Julian, or, worse, he's getting orders from Constantius to do this. Mm. Julian is quite clearly being sabotaged. Oh, there's no, there's no yeah, mistaking Yeah, I mean, it's just that. no mistaking that Please by this point. send me seven boats. Oh, that obviously means burn seven boats. Of course, Caesar. Yeah, it's, it's not looking good. However, things are about to go wrong for Barbeccio. A horde, and I quote, of savages, outstripping by their extraordinary speed any rumour of their coming, with a sudden attack set upon Barbeccio and the army he commanded. Ooh. Yes, they're closer to the Rhine, and they're suddenly attacked. Ooh. The sudden attack forces Barbaccio to retreat from the area. From near the Rhine? Mer people. Possibly mer people. How would they get across the land? Just Pull themselves on sticks, on tridents. Tridents, yeah, just dragons. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably the, the Alamanni, but it could be mer people. Well, the jury's out. Yeah, we'll leave it open. So, Julian awaits news of where Barbaccio had regrouped. And where they could rendezvous for the counterattack. Yeah. However, <laughs> news comes through that Barbaccio had decided that was enough campaigning for this year. He sent all his troops back to their winter garrisons and headed back to Milan. <laughs> <laughs> it's just beyond ridiculous now, isn't it? Yeah, they're not even hiding. <laughs> yeah, he went back to Milan probably to let the Emperor know just how useless his Caesar was. Are you drawing another angry face now? The many stages of anger. <laughs> yeah. Julian looked around him. Probably did some of those, like, keep calm exercises that people are told to do. <laughs> Take deep breaths. Deep breaths. Count to ten. Count all the trees. Slowly. That's not a tree. That's a barbarian. <laughs> oh, oh, so's that. Oh, dear. And that is... Oh, no. Because Julian looked around and realised he was deep in enemy-held territory with only half his army. It was not long before envoys from a group of Alamanni turned up. This was their land. They said Roman invaders were clearly outnumbered. 
If Julian officials gave them the land, they would let them go. Ooh. What's Julian to do? Well, part of me thinks movie style, never. And then, you know, attacks and he wins in the end and gets all the land back and it looks amazing. But as this is the real world, of course, yes, I'll go. Well, to start off with, you're pretty much spot on. Ooh. Yeah. Julian sets off to meet them in battle, Ooh. despite only having half of the men he should have done. And we're going to cover this battle later, but what happens when you face impossible odds but have a plucky attitude? You lose. No, he won, of course. <laughs> Consistency. Yes. <laughs> he had a plucky attitude. Yeah, of course. Who cares about the odds? <laughs> yes, he wins this one. Yeah, 360 men to 20,000. <laughs> wasn't quite that bad, but we'll go over that later in Phytius Maximus. But this is an amazing win for him. Yeah. And no one can claim someone else was doing it for him this time. This is clearly him and him alone, with half the army fighting back the Alamanni. Nice. He captured the Alamannic king and sent him off to Milan. Oh, really? Yes, his troops were so elated, they declared Julian emperor. That's what happens when you drink too much. <laughs> yes. Well, this was something Julian was very, very quick to stamp out. <laughs> Julian, you're amazing. You should be... No. No. <laughs> Stop that. Sir, I bought you a no. new purple cloak. No. Put it away. I've made no. you a sh- crowd. Sh- 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 just just go, go to your tent. Uh. Sleep it off. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> yes. That's what happened. So Julian's troops by this point might have expected a rest. They've just pulled off an amazing victory, but they were not going to get it. Julian marches north, clearing out the barbarians along the river, and at one point crossing just to show who was boss. He's on a roll by this point. Yeah. The men grumble a bit. He's pushing them very hard, but he's done very well. Julian then heads to winter quarters to a new and upcoming town named Paris. Paris. Paris, it might be pronounced. Mm. Or maybe just drop the S. Paris. Yeah, Yeah, that might be it. Julian did not get much peace in Paris, however. Tax and money problems were rearing their ugly heads, which we'll get into in Successus Ultimus. So just know that there was a bit of political fighting going on over winter. Okie doke. Then, in 360... Constantius receives news that Charpoil was back in town. Boy is back in town. Yeah, probably Boy through the medium of song. <laughs> yeah, it was a singing telegram from Charpoil. So Constantius realizes he's got to go east to face the Persian threat. Yeah. Julian, already having had enough people meddling with his rule, was furious when he received word that Constantius wanted around seven and a half thousand of his men from Gaul. Now this puts Julian in a very awkward position. He told his men an oath. The soldiers of Gaul would never have to leave their homeland to fight. They would always remain on this side of the Alps. Never make promises like that. Yeah. There was nothing he could do. Eventually he has to agree and started making arrangements for the troops to be moved. One of the units requested was from Britain so it was going to take a little bit of time to get them all sorted. Hmm. Transporting them over in Britannia again, all the tsunamis and exactly, it's really hard getting across that channel. Yeah, so. it was probably safer to just dig a tunnel. Yeah, that will never happen. That's when it started. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's slightly over budget and over time. And in was it 1986? That's later than that, wasn't it? I don't know. 90s, it was in the 90s. Was it? Yeah, it was earlier than that. I don't know. Let's both say a date now, all right. and whoever's closer to being correct. Whoever's listening probably knows this. Yeah. And 
that person can feel smug and superior next week. 1986. You're going for 86? Yeah. I'm going to say 92, so we'll find out another time who's right. Okay. Yeah, we'll carry on. Right. <laughs> the troops were not happy, possibly no. because they were being forced to tunnel. <laughs> One man wrote, We verily are driven to the ends of the earth like condemned criminals, and our dear ones, whom we freed from their former captivity after mortal battles, will again be slaves to the Alamanni. Ooh. It's not good. No. It's grumbling in the troops. Yeah. This letter was shown to Julian. This letter apparently was just found in the camp. <laughs> Passive aggressively. Yeah. Just left there. <laughs> just soldiers walking past Julian's camp. Just just staring. <laughs> right at Julian, just, just staring, just places it down. <laughs> just sort of on a barrel next to his tent. Just walks away, still staring. Yeah. Just backing up, staring. <laughs> all the way down the, the road through, through the flats yeah <laughs> just into another tent <laughs> yeah Julian realises that this isn't good he comes up with a compromise you're worried I understand he says that you're <clears throat> you're going to leave your families behind the Alamanna are going to come along and butcher mm. them all and I made a very clear promise that that would not happen that you'd have to move yes. i wrote it down yeah. i put it in my manifesto yeah it's so uh, all these promises i'm not gonna break that he said yeah well i am but <laughs> how about right you bring your families with you Ooh. it would be a lovely holiday <laughs> yeah i don't see it as war <laughs> see this is an outing yes yeah, as you could probably guess, this didn't go down too well. This was not a good enough compromise. I love my wife and my children. I don't want to drag them into the deserts of Persia <laughs> so they can be killed by Persians instead of Alamanni. But, but you get a lovely tan. Come on, tell the, tell the kids to bring the buckets and spades. <laughs> Have a lovely time. But there's no water. There's <laughs> be piles of sand. Julian realises that this is still not good enough, and then one night he decides to have dinner with some of the high-ups in his army that he could trust. Just a little bit of a dinner, that's all. All very informal. (laughs) Yeah, tapas. Yeah, that's informal. The next morning there was a spontaneous crowd gathered around Julian's headquarters. (laughs) As you could probably guess what they were about to say. Julian, why don't you be our emperor? (laughs) Yes, if you're our emperor, you could let us stay here. Ooh, yes. Julian spent a while explaining to the troops how this couldn't possibly happen. Uh, I could possibly do that. No. Not at all, but eventually he gave in. Twisted his arm. Twisted his arm. Inside his tent he went and wrote to Constantius. I don't know why I always picture them in tents. He's in Paris at this point. He's probably got a home. A big tower. Yeah, a big tower. Yeah, he's up the Eiffel Tower at this <laughs> yeah, point. It's the very top. Yeah. James Bond enemy style lair. Glass windows all around the outside. <laughs> yes. No lifts though back then, so you had to no. climb all the way up to the top. Pulley system. Which oh, okay. by slaves. Yeah. Pulley system. <laughs> he gets all the way to the top and he pens a letter to Constantius. Dear Constantius, he says, <laughs> I'm now co emperor. Surprise! This was not my choice. I didn't want to be the Emperor. It was either that or the troops would have mutinied and risen someone else to take you on. As a sign of my goodwill, I will of course send the troops you requested, but I will raise no more troops, as that will break my promise. Besides, the area is not yet settled, and I need these men to secure the Rhine. Which was a very good point. Mm. According to Amianus, 
He also sent a second letter that we don't know of. Ah. But apparently it was more bitter in tone. <laughs> so we can only speculate what was in that one. Oh, we can. <laughs> you utter, utter. I will beep you in the beep, you mother beep. Probably something along the lines of, you have done nothing but try and trip me up for the last few years. What did you think was going to happen? So, Julian then goes out and carries on defending the Rhine. He defeats and captures another Alemannic king, because why not? Wow. Yeah. By now, he was openly referring to himself as Augustus. After a short period of time, he received news that Constantius was less than pleased with this new arrangement. (laughs) And he was declared an enemy of the people. Bugger. Yes. (laughs) So Julian splits his forces, sending some down to Italy and leading some down the Danube. Mm. The civil war was on. So he was probably more than a little bit pleased when news came through that Constantius was not only ill, he Mm. was in fact dead. And more shockingly, had declared him sole emperor. Which must have, yeah, I'm guessing that was the reaction. (laughs) Halfway through putting his armour on here to battle him. Okay. I've won. Oh. Fair enough. Okay, then. (laughs) Well, blow me. What what now? Off to Constantinople, I suppose. So off he goes. (laughs) He enters Constantinople and presided over the funeral of the man he was about to go to war with. (laughs) He's a great man. (laughs) My full respect. We saw eye to eye, or at least we planned to, across the battlefield. <laughs> yes. We always had a strong connection. His family, which is also my family, whom he killed. He had a very strong influence on me growing up. <laughs> he then sat back and thought about who he was and what kind of emperor he was going to be. Diocletian, Constantine and his sons had ruined what was once a mighty empire. According to Julian. Just skipping past the whole crisis thing. <laughs> he also did not like the idea the emperor was close to being a god themselves. Remember Diocletian had really brought across this idea that yeah, the, the emperor was above normal man. Because he didn't like people touching him, did he? No, he didn't. Constantine had carried on that tradition and so had his sons. If the emperor came past you, he didn't just saunter past and wave a hello, like the good (laughs) old days. No. So Julian didn't like all of that pomp. He wants to bring things back to the good old days, where the emperor would be walking down the street saying cooey to people. Cooey. He wanted to be more like Marcus Aurelius, first amongst equals. Also, there was too much centralisation and corruption going on. It was time the provinces started having a bit more autonomy, he thought therefore reducing the bureaucracy and, hopefully, the corruption. And also, the eunuchs have to go. I mean, it's just not right, guys. We've got to get rid of all these eunuchs. You may have noticed I've said the word eunuch a few more times than usual recently. Mm. Eunuchs have started to appear over the last few decades and are becoming more and more popular and will continue to do so. Right. Julian thought that, you know, it's just not right, guys. <laughs> it's just not. It's just... No, can we not just have advisors? Why Why do you need to... No. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Poor guys. So, no, we're not doing that anymore. 
Oh, and also one more thing. This this whole Christianity thing. Is anyone really bothered by that? Do we need to keep it? Oh, yeah. That last bit really caused a few problems. But Julian started setting about almost straight away ways of rolling back the Christianization of the Empire. See, is he going to be clever with it, or is he going to just bulldoze? Oh, we'll see. He banned Christians from teaching. He figured that teachers have a lot of influence, and if you ban the teachers from being Christians, the young people won't be taught Christian ways. It won't spread as fast. But there was certainly no purge attempts at this point. So just just a more mild way of trying to stop the Christians. <laughs> yeah. However, Julian couldn't stay in the capital for long. The Persians were still around, and now it was time for him to do his duty. Let's finally get rid of Shahpur. Something oh, okay. I believe I've said many times before. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So he sets off to Antioch. This was not going to be a pleasant stay. It turned out that the people in Antioch were starving. After making some inquiries, he discovered that the merchants were holding the food and selling it for more because Ooh. the prices were being driven up. Ooh. That's what he thought. Oh. <laughs> this isn't nice. So he gathered the leading men of the city and had words with them. This cannot go on. Sort it out. He then decided to invest in some of the pagan temples that had fallen into disrepair recently. This was interrupted, however, by the burning of the Temple of Apollo in one of the suburbs of the city. Oh dear. Julian, blaming the Christians for this, was outraged. More anger. And I quote, This inflamed the emperor with such rage that he ordered stricter investigations than usual be made, and the greater church at Antioch to be closed, for he suspected the Christians had done the deed aroused by jealousy and unwillingness to see the temple enclosed by a magnificent colonnade. Oh dear. So Christians are not too happy no. in Antioch. And don't forget, the East is very Christian. According to Ammianus, however, it was actually just an accident. It wasn't the Christians oh. burning the temple to the ground. It was possibly due to the fact that the temple had been reopened. People were not used to the Temple of Apollo being functional. <laughs> they started up the fire that was in the temple. And because, yeah, regulations had kind of gone off. No one had done the health and safety check for a few years. Yeah, the whole place just went up in flames. We should have used the straw floor. <laughs> Why did we cover the pillars in petrol? <laughs> that was just a silly idea. Didn't work last year. Gave us such a nice sheen, but <laughs> in retrospect, <laughs> it was a silly idea. Another priest <laughs> anointing everyone with oil. <laughs> that was also a bad idea, <laughs> yes. Julian then, after riots in the streets from the Christians, finds out that the merchants were still holding on to all the food. Ooh. Those stern words he had had not done enough. The people of Antioch were generally less than impressed with him. They blamed Julian for this. So Julian decides to deal with it head on. What's he going to do? Headbutt. No, he's going to write a pamphlet. Of course he is. Yes. <laughs> and this is called Beard Hater. If you translate it, it was a satirical take on what he saw as the public mocking him for his beard rather than what was actually going on. So he pretty much wrote the first private eye. Yes, that's what he did. It's like, seriously, guys, it's, can you not, it's the merchants holding your food. I'm trying to... Uh, stop blaming me. Uh, stop calling me Beardface. <laughs> it's Beardface, damn it. <laughs> yes. So, he then forced, because he realised the pamphlet wasn't quite enough, so he then forced the merchant to sell at a set price, yeah. causing unrest in the landowning class. Finally, he appointed someone he knew to be generally a harsh, cruel, and unpleasant person 
to be in charge of the city okay. and left. Brilliant. Which I think is a brilliant little <laughs> move at the end. Just saying to his advisor, who, who could we leave in charge as I go? What about Alexander? A man's a brute. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> right, sh- very short detour this week for Athanasius. Oh, yes. Yes, let's see what he's up to. Yes. We last saw our wandering priest hiding under the, the Sphinx up the Nile. Yes, he yes. broke the nose. Yes. Constantius had chased him out of Alexandria. But then Constantius had died. Mm. So, feeling safe to return, and on the pleading of many of his followers in the city, Athanasius returns to Alexandria. (laughs) At last, the third exile was over. He opened his bedroom door, threw his suitcase on the bed, let out a deep sigh. (sighs) He was home at last. Cleared away the cobwebs. Yeah. Put the kettle on. Yeah. Gonna be a wonderful day. Throw open the blinds. Yeah. Time to finally just, just settle into home. However, news then comes through <laughs> that this new emperor... I mean, good news, bad news, I suppose. New emperor, not an Aryan. Ooh, wonderful. Positive. He's also not an anti-Aryan. Mm. He's actually just sort of anti-Christian. Uh, yeah. Now, this led to a rise of anti-Christian feeling in Alexandria as a whole. Things grew very tense in the city. Oh dear. There was a lot of fighting back over what was seen as perceived slights against non-Christians that had been going on for quite yeah. some time yeah. with the growing religion. Athanasius called a council in 362 in the hope that all Christians could band together against this new threat. Let's forget this whole Aryan thing for a while, shall we? Yes. Father Christmas, Easter Bunny, going to shake hands? Shake. Shake. Just both touch each other's finger a little bit. <laughs> looking in opposite directions. Yeah, they both huff and then walk off to all yeah. the ends of the room. Unfortunately for Athanasius, the Christian factions had become too entrenched in their arguing. It was going to take more than an external threat to stop the bickering by this point. <laughs> by this time, Julian had heard that there was a lot of people following Athanasius. The bishop had become very, very popular. Hmm. Julian not too pleased with this idea of a rising popular Christian bishop. He ordered the Praetorian prefect of Egypt to exile him. (laughs) Athanasius let out a big sigh, I imagine. (sighs) Throws his clothes back in the suitcase. (laughs) Looked at a map. Where shall I go this time? (laughs) There were some protests by the citizens, but ultimately Athanasius had no choice. He decides he actually quite liked it under the sand with the Sphinx up the Nile. No. So he heads back there. To Egypt. Yes. So off he goes. Exile number four. Excellent. Right, back to Julian. Julian turns his attention to the upcoming war. It was decided a good old-fashioned sacking of Tessaphon was in order. No. Like the good old days. So plans were drawn up. At this point, Sharpaw sent envoys seeking for peace. Oh, that's interesting. Perhaps. He just wanted more time to build up his troops. Yeah, more likely. Yeah. <laughs> Julian was having none of this and puts his plans in motion. In 363, he left Antioch with between 65,000 men and 90,000 men, depending on the source. We're not really sure exactly how many, so we're just going to settle on 76,364. Okay. Yes. This is a huge amount. This yeah. is far more than he's used to. It's more than can fit my garden. Definitely. If he was still in Gaul, he'd be laughing. Yes. But he's not. 
No. He, he's in Persia. Ooh. And the Persians have a lot of men as well. Ooh. So he knows he needs A, more men, and B, a cunning plan. Where to get more men? He thought, ah, we have an ally. So he sends word to the sock puppet in Armenia. <gasps> yes. Yes, he's still around. Although I did find out this week what happens to the sock puppet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a shame. <laughs> but I won't spoil it. He's also got a name. His name's Arshak too. Arshak the sock puppet. <laughs> yes. So he sends a letter to the sock puppet to raise some additional troops for him. Julian then heads towards the Tigris the northern of the two main rivers that run through Persia, the other being the Euphrates. Yeah. Now, to understand what is happening in this following story, you need to understand the two rivers that run through the <clears> Persian <throat> Empire. Okay. So you have the southern river, the Euphrates, yeah. going southeast through the Persian Empire, and then almost parallel to it, further north, is the Tigris. Yeah. Okay. So Julian is going to the northern river, the Tigris. Going down the Tigris makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It keeps you on fertile land, it stops you getting lost, and most importantly, Tessaphon was on the Tigris. <laughs> yeah. So it meant you could take supply ships all the way to the city. You could take all the grain, and instead of carrying it, you can sail it down the river. Mm, yeah. yeah. Makes Save, a lot of sense. Saves on men, energy, horses. Exactly. Goes. Wonderful idea. That is exactly why, he said after explaining to his generals that this was why they were not going down the Tigris. Too obvious. Too obvious. They are going to go down the Euphrates. Ah. Yes. Now, I'll put a map of this up. In fact, it's the same map as before. I've just done some stuff in Persia and in Gaul. Okay. So have a look on Facebook at the map to have a look at his route. I'm not going to show you his route just yet because I don't want to ruin anything for you. So, Julian could have travelled all the way down where the rivers eventually meet, because the Tigris and the Euphrates do meet eventually. Yeah. But that is after you've gone past Tessaphon on the Tigris. So he could have gone all the way down the Euphrates, Yeah. got to the point that the rivers meet, turn round, and then go upriver to Tessaphon. Yeah, with you. But this would take a lot of time yeah. and a lot of effort. So let's not do that. <laughs> Instead, the plan was going to break the dams and fill the canals that linked the two rivers near the Persian capital. Ooh, just to either increase water flow or stop it. Wow, yes. Someone did put their hand up at this point and went, is there a reason the Persians have dammed up all these canals? That he was just told to be quiet. <laughs> shh, shh, details. Don't need to know about that. <laughs> it was a solid plan of approach, and it's sorted. Julian sent some men, 30,000 roughly, to the Tigris to make a lot of noise. Yay. Yeah, Make it look like we're going to the Tigris. Do you think they all took instruments? I think they all took at least two cardboard cutouts of other soldiers. Oh, To yes. make it look like there was 90,000 men. Like nice. they had a stick across their shoulder. <clears throat> yeah. With <laughs> two cardboard cutouts either side of them. Looking really vicious. And there's like a really tired soldier in the middle going, oh, let's walk. <laughs> and he's got a tambourine. <laughs> walking along. He's got a couple of coconuts. Yeah, Sorry. I was going to say coconuts. <laughs> sort of strapped to his elbows. So as he walks, they just clank along. <laughs> make lots of noise. Do you think on the horse there are cardboard horses as well? <laughs> yes. But they don't work very well, so you've just got one horse galloping in front and the two cardboard horses just being dragged stationary. along. <laughs> just, just being flipped over through the sand. Tied <laughs> up by loose string. Yeah. yeah. 
Do you think the whole um, Persian army is looking at us going, what the hell are they doing? Well, they met up with the um, the Armenians and the sock puppets. <laughs> what? What is that? Yeah, I yeah, I, I imagine they they drew some looks. Yeah, but that was the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess so. Shahpur was guarding the Tigris, so Julian was able to swiftly make it through Persian territory. Towns and fortifications that they passed were no match and gave up quickly. The further they got, though, the more resistance they did meet. Small ambushes were set up, although none large enough to really trouble the Roman Empire. Yeah. Eventually, they came across a fortress that did fight back. This is Pyrrhusabora, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which guarded the canals that could cut across land and get to oh, Tessaphon. Yeah. The fight was hard fought on both sides, and if Ammianus can be believed, Julian at this point needs a personal charge on the gates. Ooh. He rushed forward with a few men using shields to protect them from the rain of stones and arrows. They reached the gates, which, and I quote, which was heavily overlaid with iron. And although he and those who shared in his peril were assailed with rocks, bullets from a sling and other missiles, nevertheless, he often cheered on his men as they tried to break the levees of the folding gates in order to effect an entrance. And he did not withdraw until he saw that he must soon be overwhelmed by the bodies which were being hurled down upon him. Nice. So, just... He's going to stick it out until he's literally yeah. overwhelmed. I just imagine just piles of rocks and yeah. arrows getting higher until he's waist deep. Do you know, all the way through that, I'm hearing uh, Led Zeppelin. Levy breaks. Yeah. yeah. They were playing Led Zeppelin to boost awesome. morale at the time. So that attack failed, but the fort did fall soon afterwards. Victory for the Romans. The dams, therefore, were broken and the canals were filled with water. Hooray! As canals often are. Yes, in fact, we have a quote of that happening as well. As soon as the canal was cleared, the dams were swept away by the great flow of water, <laughs> and the fleet in safety covered 30 stada and was carried into the channel of the Tigris. Nice. So you just picture it now, the big wave of water going down the dusty canal that's full of shopping trolleys. <laughs> Syringes. Yeah, just being brushed aside. Prophylactics. <laughs> yes. So... They've got away to the Tigris, which is great. They've reached the Tigris, they're now on the correct river, but they now need to cross the Tigris. And the opposite shore is being held by a large group of Persians. Julian loaded some of his ships up with troops and sent five of them across the river to secure the opposite bank. Yeah. Apparently his generals thought this was a terrible idea, but he was overruled. The general's fears came true when the ships were bombarded with flammable material. Fire. Yes, maybe fire, <laughs> but other things as well. Julian, realising that it was now or never, ordered the rest of the men to follow as quickly as possible. The order was given so quickly that men were left behind. They didn't get onto the ships in time. And again, I will quote, Some panic-stricken soldiers, fearing to remain behind after the signal had been given, laying on their shields, which are flawed and curved, and clinging fast to them, though they showed little skill in guiding them, kept up with the swift ships across the eddying stream. You just got men paddling on their, their shields, <laughs> trying to keep on. Don't leave me behind! Help! No! He does love the uh, the embedded claws, does Amiens. Does he? Yes, he does. <laughs> yes. This worked. The bank was taken, and the army moves on. And finally, in front of the gates of Tessaphon, the two sides meet. 
When the battle cry was raised in the usual manner by both sides, <laughs> and the trumpet's blare in- increased the ardour of the men, here and there they fought hand to hand with spears and drawn swords. And the soldiers were freer from the dangers of arrows, and more quickly they forced their way into the enemy ranks. It's starting to turn into a whose line is it anyway? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Julian was busily engaging in giving support to all those who gave way, and in spurring on the laggards, playing the part both of the valiant fellow soldier and that of a commander. Finally, the first battle line of the Persians began to waver, and at first slowly, and then at a quick step, turned back and made for the city. Mm. Victory was theirs. Nice. They have defeated the defending force outside Tessaphon. Julian decides to let the Persians retreat into the city, Hmm. and this is where it all starts going wrong. (laughs) I guess, though, in your head you think, well, the more people they have, the less resources they're going to have, so they'll starve quicker. And Yeah, possibly. Maybe. I think Julian thinks, well, we've defeated them, they'll give up quite soon, though. No. Because in a meeting that night, his gen- generals unanimously said, after seeing Tesfan up close, we can't take that city. <laughs> have you seen the size of those walls? They're at least three feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> we, weren't at least. Ex- <laughs> we weren't expecting this. <laughs> yeah. Bang our shins. Well, if you think about it, these men have been brought up on stories of generals sacking Tessaphon all the time. Do you remember during the crisis, yeah. it got to the point where they went into Persia and sacked Tessaphon yet yes. again? Yeah. I, I guess the people living there thought, right, enough's enough. Yeah. You know <laughs> Dragons <what? laughs> on the wall. This wick offence is not good. <laughs> I think we need to improve. <laughs> it's so flammable. <laughs> yeah. So, so hide, hide some dragons from the north, built more trenches. I see your knowledge of ancient defence for cities is yeah. quite in-depth there. Cannons yeah. on the radar as well. So, Julian's not happy. He starts berating his generals for being too cautious. He had all but won the war, damn it. We're not going to stop now. However, Julian eventually was forced to agree with his generals' assessments. I'd like to think they just said, Julian, Julian, calm down for a bit. Like, come this way. Step outside the tent. <laughs> just, just look over there. What do you see? Oh, <laughs> bloody hell. Oh, they're big walls, aren't they? <laughs> oh, right, okay. Is, is that a Norwegian ridgeback? <laughs> Roosting on that turret. <laughs> okay, right, maybe you got a point. Okay, new plan, he said. We're going to head <laughs> into the interior of Persia. Okay. No one's ever done that before. Everyone goes up and down the river. Let's go into the middle of Persia. Let's just start wiping them out. I'm guessing there's a reason why no one's done that before. <laughs> Plus, there's good news. If they're leaving the river, he said, we don't need the ships anymore. That's going to free 20,000 men who would charge for transporting the ships. It's true. Wonderful. Win-win, he thought. And men that aren't used to marching because they've been on boats the past couple <laughs> months. Yeah, they could do with the exercise. <laughs> However, Julian points out, we can't just leave the ships here. The enemy would take them. So burn them. Um, let's, let's burn them, shall we? Well, this was met with horror. You want us to burn the ships. The, the ships with all our food on, you want us to burn. It'll be fine, said Julian. So they're not taking the food with them, they're just going to burn the ships. They'll take the what they can, but there's a lot of food on those ships. There's a uh, reason why they're on ships and not on 
donkeys. Yeah. They don't have donkeys. And except in my head, I imagine like small little wooden boats. These are big big ships. Oh, these aren't are they? big big ships. Big wooden with a lot of stuff on them. Yeah. Yeah. Julian says, "No, nah, we don't need it anymore. Just get rid of it." Yeah. Julian points out, "Look around you. We are surrounded." by fields and fields of crops. And we've just wiped out the opposing force in the area. We're fine for food. Don't need to panic. Apparently some of the men attempted to save the ships by issuing false orders. (laughs) I think the order was burn the ships and they came along and just put do not (laughs) at the front of the order. (laughs) Dodgy standing out red crayon. Yeah. (laughs) It didn't work, however. All the ships were indeed burnt, bar 12 small ships that were planned to be saved because they just had bridge-building equipment on them, and Julian thought they might be useful. So how did he get back then as well? Oh, we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. The men grumbled, but they head inland. Not very far at all, however, because those fields of crops that were all around them... Cannabis. Yeah, it slowed them right down. <laughs> Where's that food? <laughs> Where are the crisps? <laughs> no, it wasn't that the f- crops were unedible. It was the fact that those fields of crops were now just massive fields of fire. Uh... The Persians had sneakily ran around and set fire to their own crops to stop the Romans from eating. Not only that, the fires were so huge, they actually stopped the army from moving. Oh, really? They had not got far inland at all. They were stuck now in a desert, surrounded by fire, with no food. Bugger. <laughs> oh, and they found out one reason why the Persians sealed up the canals as well. That, oh. That person who put their hand up ages ago is just, just there. So I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I told you so! <laughs> yes. The reason why they, they sealed up the canals is because it made all the fields flood. Mm. And with all the flooded fields, there was a lot of disease going around, so they just closed them up. Yeah, but I imagine they have a system where you could like, irrigate the land, but yeah. you, you can control the flow. Exactly. Now, oh the Romans had gone past these flooded fields weeks ago by this point. Yeah. It had slowed them down. It was a bit of a problem, but we're past it now. We could probably do with some flooded fields, actually, because they're all on fire now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. It, there. It's not a problem. However, some troops had started to get ill. And that was now spreading. So that's not good. So add on to that the fact that his 30,000 men that he'd sent off as decoys were supposed to meet up with him at Tessaphon. Yeah. They had not. Oh. Neither had the sock puppet with his troops. (laughs) So I've just just got not not only those men with those cardboard cutouts, but just just loads and loads of sock puppets as well coming down. (laughs) (laughs) One soldier, one sock puppet. We have an army of 40,000. Um, (laughs) do you? (laughs) Yeah. As great as a morale boost they would have been, they did (laughs) not turn up. They were missing, presumed dead. Julian realises that perhaps it's time to go home. They would travel up the Tigris and take out the fortifications on the river, he declared happily. Um, that, that met with a less than enthusiastic response. We burnt the boat. <laughs> yeah, wasn't the whole idea of coming down the Euphrates to avoid Shahpur and the Tigris? And now you want to march up the Tigris, 
heading straight towards Shahpur, who is still out there and probably making all haste towards us. This this strikes me of a man that he knows he's made a mistake. Yes. <laughs> and he's trying desperately to yeah. <laughs> save face. Like you do know Shahpur's got a very large army, don't you? That'd be fine, be fine. You do know it would be better to just go back the way we came. No, 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 be fine. It's but you know what glory it's like. If you've gone somewhere and there's an option to go back a slightly different way so you don't feel like you're retreating... I guess it's, so. It's progress yeah. that way instead of retreating. Take, take, let's say the scenic route home. Yeah. yeah. So off they go up the Tigris. It was not but long before Shahpur does indeed meet them. Not on mass, interestingly. Shahpur realises he doesn't need a battle here. The ever-hungry Roman army is marching northwest along the river, and little by little the Persian cohorts just harass the rear and the scouting parties of the Romans. Morale was at an all-time low. Eventually, in June 363, the Romans were given three days with no attack. Ooh. This puts everyone on edge. Oh, yeah. Would. Yes. Sure enough, on the fourth day, their rear was attacked again, which no one enjoyed. <laughs> and then the front of the column, and then the middle, all in quick succession. Ooh. And we will let Ammianus take it from here. Excited by the misfortune, Julian forgot his coat of mail, and merely caught up a shield in the confusion. While he was hastening to restore order there, without regard to his own peril, a Parthian band of mailed cavalry on the other side attacked the centre companies, and quickly overflowed the left wing, which gave way, since our men could hardly endure the smell and trumpeting of elephants. <laughs> Shut up! <laughs> I love that. It's not the attack, not the arrows, the swords. Just oh, that smell, <laughs> the noise. <laughs> just, just go away. <laughs> We're hungry. Just, just leave us alone with your elephants. <laughs> anyway, we continue. But while the emperor rushed hither and thither. Nice. Amid <laughs> the foremost ranks of the combatants, and as the Persians turned and turned in flight, they hacked at their legs and backs, and those of the elephants. Hooray, driving them off. Julianus, careless of his own safety, rushed boldly into the fight. His guards, who had scattered in their alarm, were crying out to him from all sides to get clear, when suddenly, no one knows whence, a cavalryman's spear grazed the skin of his arm, pierced his ribs, and lodged into the lower lobe of his liver. While he was trying to pluck out this with his right hand, he found the sinews of his fingers were cut through on both sides by the sharp steel. Then he fell from his horse. That that implies there's a post-mortem examination as well, so about the hit of the, the lower lobe of his liver. Oh, he's not dead. Oh, he's still alive. Oh, he's still alive. Okay. He was rushed to the medical tent, and the doctors did what they could, but it was obviously very bad. He slipped in and out of consciousness. Sources differ how long he survived. Oh. <laughs> the maximum is three days. Amianus himself said it was just that one day and he died that night. Amianus gives him a nice long rambling speech on his deathbed, which I'm not going to quote here, but it does end with these words. He's saying this dying, of course, just to set the scene. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's standing around him. What are we to do, Emperor? Where? We're in the middle of the desert. What can we do? And he says, but as to the choice of the next Emperor... Big pause. I wish... Another big pause. That a good ruler may be found to succeed me. And he dies. 
Oh. <laughs> and everyone just goes, do, do you want to name anyone at all? <laughs> or give us some tactical advice? No, a- anything at all. We're in the debt. What, 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 what do you want from us now? You idiots. What a git. <laughs> he is now dead. So that's, that's Julian. I'm not liking Julian. It's a, it's a tale of two halves, isn't it? All that stuff in Gaul seems quite promising, and you feel sorry for him, and he's put upon. Yeah. This campaign in per- Persia is a bit of a mess. Well, let's judge him, shall we? Fightius Maximus. Brief look at the fight he was most pleased with. This is when he's stuck in Alamanni territory, remember? Yeah. With only half his troops. This is called the Battle of Strasbourg. Yeah, that's quite impressive. Yeah, you see, it was quite good earlier on, wasn't it? Mm. We have more on this battle than we've had on most emperors during the crisis. Okay. <laughs> really? It is ridiculous, the amount of detail we've now got. There's no time to look in that much detail, but if you're listening and you want to find out more detail, believe me, it's all there. So, quick look, however. The leader of the Alemannic forces was a man named Knodomar. <laughs> C-H-N-O-D-O-M-A-R. I will allow you to decide how we're pronouncing that one. Chnalama. Charles. Yeah, Charles. Charles. Right. So, Charles is in charge of the Alemannic forces. Julian only had around thirteen to 16,000 troops with him. The Alemannic barbarians had perhaps double. So to set the scene here, barbarians are on top of the hill. So oh, they don't take the high ground. They've got the high ground. Oh dear. Yeah, well, Julian doesn't have a choice at this point. He's been abandoned by Barbicio. So <laughs> he's, he's doing what he can. Charles also had come up with a cunning plan. He had hidden in the long grass infantrymen amongst his cavalry. It's better than bear traps. Better than bear traps. The plan was for them to hide in the long grass with sharp sticks, which you could call spears. <laughs> And they just lie in the grass, and then when the Roman cavalry charge at the Persian cavalry, the Persian cavalry will back off, the men in the grass will just jump up, stab all the horses in the stomach, the Roman cavalry are the oven cavalry, Ooh. so they can't move when they're off their horses. Yeah, hot as well. Exactly. So then the barbarians can just poke at them until they're dead. <laughs> it's a good plan. Because Julian's main hope of survival here is his cavalry which is much better than the Alamanni cavalry. The battle starts. Julian, indeed, charges with his best force, the cavalry. The nasty trap was sprung, and in the panic, the Roman cataphracts fled, plunged into part of the Roman line, which just managed to hold. Ooh. It's not a good start at no. all. The men that fled, fled completely. Did not see them again for the rest of the battle. They did turn up afterwards, however. Okay. Julian forced them to wear women's clothes. Oh. As a punishment. Excellent. Yes. You can tell one soldier that's really enjoyed it too much. (laughs) Jeff, where'd you get the hat? (laughs) We didn't give Bonnet out. Yeah. Kill him! (laughs) This might seem quite quite a lenient punishment. I guess it's like going into the oak, though, isn't it? Like, humiliating. Yeah, it was humiliating, but it wasn't decimation. No, no. But that's not to say Julian didn't decimate troops. There was a little bit of decimation going on at times. Um, but yeah, I, we think it's he didn't decimate anyone here because he just didn't have enough men. Mm. Anyway, back into the battle rather than afterwards. Buoyed by this really good start, a wedge of barbarian troops smash into the middle of the Roman front line. The line was penetrated, which usually means the end of the battle. Yeah. Because once that line's broken, you can just sort of roll it up. 
Yeah. yeah. However, the well-disciplined Romans managed to hold on with two separate wings being independent. The Alemannic troops pour through the front line and smash into the rear line of the Romans, which are standing there ready to support. Yeah. This rear line was good, and it held. Not only did it hold, it pushed the Germanic forces back through the breach and plugged the gap. However, the Roman line was no longer straight. If you imagine you've got a strip of paper, and you just get your finger and you just push through the middle to make a hole, what happens to the piece of paper? It's all bent and weird. It's all bent and weird. Well, that's what's happened to the Roman line. (laughs) With the hole plugged, they started to close in on the Alamanni like a jaw. So the Roman line's just wrapping itself around the Alemannic forces at this point. So those on the edges were being picked off by the wider Roman line, and those in the middle were just being squashed and squashed and squashed. Mm. Now, if you've ever been to a festival, or if you've ever seen the last episode of Game of Thrones... Was it the last episode? The one with the big battle. I'm not going to ruin anything. I'm not going to ruin anything. There is a battle. That's all I'm saying. But people get a bit squashed in it. So if you've seen that episode, you'll know what this was like. The barbarian line breaks and they all begin to run back to the Rhine. All the way, the Roman cavalry that had not deserted rides the enemy down. Those that did manage to escape drowned trying to swim the river in their armour, which is just a silly thing to do. Mm. In total, the Alamanni lost approximately 6,000 men in the battle and 2,000 men in the river. Rome lost 234 Really? Presumably, mostly those cavalrymen at the start. Wow. It's 234, that's nothing. Yeah, compared to 8,000. And he was outnumbered two to one. Wow. Yeah, pretty good. That's good odds, yeah. Especially when halfway through the battle, it looked like it was all but lost. I guess he could have a tactic of that, where you just let them through. Like, your front line, you just let them through into the middle bit, and they call that the kill zone. (laughs) And then why you should be a general. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and we'll call this the kill zone. <laughs> Everything will be fine, and and that can be the squishy bit in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. We don't think it was on purpose. It was no. definitely the barbarians pushing through, but yeah, it's not bad. So let's sum up his good fighting. He fought more, a lot more than I've covered today. Mm. There are many battles we just don't have time to talk about against the barbarians and against the Persians, and he generally does quite well. He defeats the Franks, the Alamanni, others. He manages to get to Tessaphon and beat the Persians there. Yeah, that's true. He came up with some crazy plans, like going down the Euphrates rather than the Tigris, which worked quite well. And there's a lot about his personal bravery as well, which we've not had time to go into. Well, you, you, you've hinted at it, haven't We've you? hinted at it. We had that time where he tried to take the gates. He'd also eat with the men and walk amongst them a lot, attempting to raise their spirits. That's exactly what he was and doing would, when though. he was killed. Yeah, I yeah. would, though. Yeah, because you're talking about how he was there in, in, the, in the fray, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, running here, there and everywhere. So, mm. yeah, it's actually fairly good, that, isn't it? Yeah. But is bad. <laughs> Let's face it, we've got some very strong source bias going on here. Mm. Not only is Amianus his bezzy friend. BFF. How many times in the past have I said he spent a while fighting back the barbarians? Because at the time that's all we had. Mm. Well, that's what he did. Now I'm going to remind you of another emperor here. This is literally a copy from my notes of Carus. Right. Carus of the lightning yeah. fame. Yeah. Now, this is the notes for his entire Phytius Maximus. Yeah. He fought some barbarians. 
He got to Tessaphon and sacked it. That is essentially what Julian did, only Julian didn't sack Tessaphon. He couldn't take the city. Now, is, we scored Carus a grand total of eight between us. Is there a difference between the quality of the Persian Empire now compared to then? Well, Tessaphon no longer has the wick offence. <laughs> it's better defended. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to say. Carus did just walk into an empty Persia. Because at the time, the Persians were fighting a civil war. Yeah. Whereas Julian sneaks past Sharpur. So yeah. that's more impressive. What he did with the barbarians, he was doing against lots of internal political fighting. But for all we know, so did Carus. We just don't know about it. True. We've just got a lot more detail, so it seems really impressive. So if you just do big strokes here, he did fight back some barbarians, and he failed his war against Persia. Because let's face it, he did. Yes, he won one battle in it. But he failed to sack Tessaphon, and then Sharpor killed him. Because we have more detail, it seems more impressive. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's a good point. Hmm. So what are we going to give him? Six. I'm going for six as well. I'm going five for being a solid fighter, but knocking lots of points off for the fact that he made blunders. And I'm giving him a bonus point for dying in battle. Mm. So that's why why I'm going for six. Yeah. That's a total of 12, then, for Fighters Maximus. Approvium Crazium. Right, well, he's really not crazy, is he? No. No. He started a civil war. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you could scrape a point for that. But let's look at the justification for that from his own lips. He did a lot of writing. Did he? Oh, he did. <laughs> a lot of which survives. So when writing to his uncle, he said this about the civil war. Bear me witness that never for a moment did I wish to slay Constantius. But rather I wish the contrary. I came because having been declared a public enemy, I meant to frighten him merely, and that our quarrel should result in intercourse. Oh, sorry, on a more friendly terms. <laughs> but if we should have to decide the issue by battle, I meant to entrust the whole to fortune and to the gods, and so await whatever their clemency might decide. So he just was claiming that he wasn't really going to get... No, I don't believe it. No, I don't believe it at all. <laughs> no, I don't. Either. That's after the event, sort of, right, let's damage control now. Yeah. So, um... He's yeah. not crazy, though. He's not. If the people of Antioch had behaved in the way that they did to Julian, to Caracalla, they would have all been slaughtered. Oh, yeah. Julian wrote a pamphlet <laughs> called Beard Hater. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to give him one for starting a civil war, but... Since the Civil War didn't actually happen, and because he wrote a pamphlet, because he was angry, I might just take that down to zero. I have to agree. I can't think of any yeah. reason. Zero for a problem grazing. Yeah. Successes ultimates. Right, one story here stands out how he could be a successful ruler. Now, again, this is when he's a Caesar, and he's just finished his very first year of campaigning on the Rhine region. Yeah. He retires to Paris. It was here that he started to bump heads with the Praetorian prefect of Gaul, Florianus. Florianus was annoyed they were not making enough money in taxes. So, what to do, he thought. What do you do if you're not making enough money raising taxes? Steal money, people. Yeah, you raise the taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get, get more money. Julian came along and decided he had a better plan for raising money. He would, and wait for this, lower the taxes. At this point, Florianus just put his head in his hands. I was like, oh, for God's sake. What idiot have they sent me? <laughs> People spend more, though. It's a bit more complicated than that, but you're oh. on the right lines. To try and put it as simply as possible, Julian realised the reason why the government were not getting enough money was not because people were not paying enough, 
but because the poor were being taxed so much, they literally had nothing left. Mm. And the rich, as often happens, had enough money to find loopholes to avoid paying, <laughs> usually by paying bribes to avoid paying until one of Constantius's semi-regular I cancel all debts, please love me, mm. speeches happened. So, Julian's genius plan was, hey, let's not tax the poor so much that they're starving to death. Instead, just enough that they can afford it and therefore still be alive next year to keep giving us some money. Oh, and the rich, get this, actually have to pay. What a dirty liberal. (laughs) Yeah, so he lowers the taxes for everyone, but says that actually you do need to pay this. It's kind of the law, guys. So, uh cough up. Florianus was furious at this young upstart coming along with his commie ideas of fairness. <laughs> it really didn't help that it worked. Ooh. It's like the twisting the knife there, <laughs> <Yes>. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he didn't rule long enough to really be able to do much success as Ultimus, but that was definitely a glimmer of his potential. He saw things clearly and went, actually... Well, it's logical. Yeah. yeah. Instead of just with a hammer trying to get more money. No, let's let's figure this out. What is actually going wrong here? Mm. Bad, however. There's quite a bit of criticism for Julian's foreign policy with Shapur. Shapur, remember, asked for peace. So why did he go to war when he didn't need to? I'll be honest, though, I think this is ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You disagree with me if you want, but I saw this raised in more than one place, that this was a silly move of Julian. But it was less than a year previously Shaopor was attacking and sacking Roman fortifications. Just because Shaopor was saying, oh no, I want peace now, I wouldn't have trusted him for a moment. That's true. So I, I think we can kind of let him get away with that. Yeah. The other thing that he gets some flack for with this is that some historians suggest that he was only going to war for the glory, which I kind of think misses the whole point of being a Roman emperor. Of course he was going to war for the glory. So did every literally Roman. every <laughs> single Roman emperor. Yeah. That's what they did. That's true. For a do- revenge, which was for glory. Yeah. For more land, which is for glory. Yes. For taking back land, which is for glory. I mean, even Marcus Aurelius, philosophising in his tent, was still trying to win some glory... By fighting the barbarians. So, yeah, I don't think we can really criticise him too much of that. The biggest thing, though. Julian wanted one thing more than anything else. And that was getting the empire back to its pagan roots. And pull away from Christianity. There is a reason why he's known as Julian the Apostate. Oh, I've heard of that. Yes. Well, that's Julian. Oh, it's him. That's him. Yes. (laughs) He utterly fails in this. He is the last non-Christian emperor until the fall of Constantinople. Already? In over a thousand years' time. Okay. Yes. So, yeah, he failed that, didn't he? It does make you think, though, doesn't it? Because there's an argument to say, if it wasn't for that one single Persian spear just thrown, we could be living in a world where Christianity was seen very much like Mithraism is today. That's true. Just one spear. Because if Julian had lived and got back, he could have turned the empire back into a pagan empire. Mm. So, yeah. Jeff. <laughs> so there you go. Um, that's his success as Ultimus. Mm. Definitely potential there, but what did he actually do? I guess he helped out the economy a little bit, but yeah, I think two. he deserves something for that too. He doesn't mess everything up. He does in a way that people aren't hugely happy with him in the east. We I'm going to go for bigger than two. I'm going to go for three. Oh no, I'm thinking. I'm thinking more four now. Four. I'm going for four. You're going for four. Does he deserve four? 
Okay, eight. Image face. Smooth face. Bunchy hair. You're missing the obvious. What was the title of his pamphlet? Oh, beard! Yes. Beard for say. <laughs> okay, massive beard. Here he is. Oh, oh, ooh, he looks like an emperor. He does. We've actually like got good someone yeah. who looks a bit like an emperor again. He's bearded. It's oh. He looks wise. He does look wise, doesn't he? I like him. Oh, eight. I'm quite impressed with that. Yeah, I'm going to share your eight, which is a total of four for Imago Facius. Temple completed. Okay, how long does he last? 10 years? 13 years? Oh, you're going to be shocked. This is what happens when you get a lot of source material. Oh, a year and three months. Pretty much, yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> Declared himself Augustus in 360 and died in 363. However, I don't think we can count the start of that because he was a usurper until Constantius. He was an enemy of the state, yeah. Until Constantius declared him as heir, he was a usurper. So we can't count that time based on our rules. He was the sole emperor from 361 to 363. But if you actually take a look at the months, that is one and a half years. Oh, wow. That is it. Julian, if he didn't have his bezzy mate yeah. writing everything down, really would have been one a of those of emperors... In the crisis, where we just go, yeah, we don't know much about him. Yeah. And we talk about smallpox for a while instead. <laughs> so that is a 0 0.19 for Tempo Completo, which gives him a final score. <laughs> oh dear. If you consider he only ruled for a year and a half, perhaps it's not too bad. But it's certainly not an amazing score. No. It's 24.19. Hmm. It does, interestingly, put him one below Caligula. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> oh, well, he got Jeanne Caesar. He did get Jeanne Caesar. So this is not impossible for Julian. Do they have a certain Jeanne Caesar? Right, I think this is it's the most interesting one, personally, I think, for a while. Really? No, I, I think the conclusion's fairly clear. Oh. It's interesting that when I was mentally oh. totting up who was going to get Jeanne Caesar in my head... Mm. Yeah, it was once we hit um, Constantine the Great. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder how many were get towards the end. And I just in my head was like, oh, Julian will get it, obviously. Because he is well known. Mm. Because he's the last pagan emperor. Yeah. And there's so much information about him. And you can really dive in. Believe me, we scratch the surface of yeah. the information that's there. There's so much information about him. Mm, but, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you take the broad strokes, I mean, he, he was nice. He was bookish. He wanted to be a writer and a poet and a philosopher and he wasn't horrible no he wasn't cruel no purges and and that's great if you're marcus aurelius you last a really long time and you rule over a united empire that's doing really well but when all you do is go into persia and get killed and annoy some people in antioch he doesn't really cut the mustard does it no i i definitely agree with that i was expecting more because when you said at the end of the last episode oh he's considered by some people the favorite emperor yes for some people I'm, and i'm just thinking why I'm... and and the the point you made about because there's so much information on him we get the fine minutiae of detail we haven't got for em emperors that probably did the same or more yes and that's what this podcast is about it's uh it's getting rid of that bias <laughs> that's what it's about yeah lack of bias that's what yes. we like yeah scientifically doing that yeah yeah no so that is interestingly oh you know some people are going to hate the fact we gave constantius to Jeanne caesar and not julian 
quite impressive. He's generally considered the bad guy, and Julian's the wonderful But that's one. the thing. We always say this in the beginning. It's who's interesting. Yes, it's interesting, not who's nice. Yeah. Sorry, Julian. Sorry, Julian. And sorry for all the listeners. <laughs> but I, I, I'm sure many of you will, will agree with our reasoning. And next week, obviously, it's... Ooh, yes, I don't know. No, you don't. It's been a while since we've had a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just not going to tell you who it is next week. Oh, damn it. Yeah, you... I won't look at the poster. Okay, so that just leaves us to say thank you very much to our new senators who have chosen to support our podcast. Yep. Thank you, Lee Ferrier. Oh, good name. Podbean user. Ooh. With your like very it. generous con- donation. Um, sorry, I can't say who you are more than that without revealing your email, which you probably don't want us to do. But, <laughs> but you know who you are. You're the person who, who donated $10 this month. So oh, thank you very thank much. Thank you. And Vajdajay? Vajdajay. 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 We We are sorry. I think we've butchered that one more than we've ever butchered a name before. I think we're pushing the PG rating as well. Yes. But thank you very much. For your very generous donations. Yes. You can, of course, help us out by joining the Senate for as little as a dollar a month. All the way up to $15. Or more. I mean, there's no cap. I mean, if you, if you want to throw <laughs> more money our way, we will gladly take it. Um, and all the money you're giving to us um, is helping to buy the equipment that's making our podcast sounds better <laughs> that we're Honest. currently not using. <laughs> um, yes, you and... might have noticed this is now week three that we're not using the new microphone. Mm. The new microphone is now with someone I know who is a sound engineer Ooh. trying to figure out what's going wrong. This is a weird reason I have a, like a image of like a, a table in a, a science lab with a microphone resting on it and a chimpanzee just bashing it with a rock. <laughs> That's possibly what's happening. <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, if all else fails, we'll just both really lean into this microphone for the, all the rest of the episodes. Welcome. Is this better quality? I bet it is. Yeah, we'll just do that. I mean, it'll be uncomfortable for us, but we'll yeah, do that. We that's right. Yeah. Okay, right. Please, please, please do leave a review on iTunes. We hugely mm. appreciate those. It's the way that we spread yeah. the word. Okay, so thank you very much for listening. Next time, surprise Emperor for Jamie. Ooh. The Emperor you know is coming next for the rest of you. <laughs> and, uh, yes, regular sign-off. Is that it? Yeah. That's a bit disappointing. Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, hugely important mission this. Emperor himself has ordered we go north. 30,000 men. We are the decoy. The decoy army. Right. So, come on, checklist out. Are we ready for this? Got it, got it. 30,000 men. Yep. 60,000 sandals. Got 60,000 there, yep, here they are. 120,000 coconuts. Yes, got all them. Oh, and string as well. 30,000 bamboo rods. Yes, yes, or actually 31,000. Oh, wonderful. What excess when they break. Well thought out there. Of course. That's yes, good man. Right, okay. Um, no one says we won't be prepared. Uh, 60,000 cardboard cutouts. Yes, we have uh, three different types. We have the uh, infantry model over here. Can you see? Oh, yes, very good. Very good. We've painted little smiles on them. Oh, is that the message we want to send? Oh, no, we're confident. Confident. Get confident. Yeah, okay. Proud. I like that. Um, we have the, the horse model over here. Oh, yes. Oh. And, and two different, we've got the, the running model. Yes, yes. And the lying down model. 
I love the the effect of like the wind going past them. It makes it look like yes. they're moving. Well, actually, the, it, it rained and the paint ran. Oh. Well, yeah, that works. It works. It, yeah, like, it, it works well. It works well. Um, and, and the last model, trees. For when we're walking through the forest, sir. Oh, oh yes, of course. More Let men. In. Camouflage. More trees. That makes sense, of course. Yes, okay. Last thing, armour. Ah. Are we saying when it was first started tunneling or when it opened? When it opened, obviously. Or when it opened, <laughs> yeah. not when it first... It first started tunneling in 1988. <laughs> So your your prediction of ninety six perhaps is not going to turn ninety six probably probably not yeah it turned before we opened in nineteen ninety four ah it's two years off then <laughs> it doesn't mean it's finished it's open <laughs> two different things.